Hi everybody, this is Arthi from Human Chapters. I'll tell you a little bit about Human Chapters. Humans are living narratives with the past, present and future. These narratives constitute of a number of chapters across a lifespan. The aim of these conversations is to highlight a chapter of the narrative and unpack its connections to other chapters. I don't care whether people are natural storytellers, but I truly do believe each one of us has a worthy story to share. Acknowledgement to country. We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we are. We pay respect to their tribal elders past and present and emerging. We celebrate the continuing culture and we acknowledge the memory of their ancestors. And today we're speaking to Seema, and we're, her chapter is Life Before Australia. Welcome, Seema. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thank you, Aarti. I would also like to start with the acknowledgement of traditional owners of the land on which uh, I'm standing today, and I pay my respect to their tribal elders, past, present, and emerging. So first of all, Aarti, thank you so much for this opportunity, and you are doing a wonderful job. You don't need this to hear from me, but believe me, I was amazed um, at the work, at the collection that you have, uh, you have um, prepared uh, in, in doing this Human Chapters series. So congratulations. And quickly about myself. As you know, I, um, I am um, a resident of Shepparton. I moved to Shepparton in 2009. I'm a local uh, counselor. And I was elected um, as a councillor in 2016. And then um, I ran again for that role and I got elected again in 2020. So this is my second term as a councillor. And um, I love this role. It's been a very rewarding journey. Uh, but uh, other than being a counselor, I'm also a freelance consultant. I'm doing some projects in community engagement areas, some community consultations. By profession, I'm a project manager and uh, I specialized in IT projects. So before becoming a counselor, I was an IT project manager. And what else? So right now I'm also wearing a few other hats. I do uh, some community volunteering. I'm running a volunteering or volunteer organization. And um, I have been on um, a few boards. So I'm also interested in board roles and I enjoy uh, performing those roles. So yeah, all in all, it uh, keeps me busy, everything that I'm doing. And uh, yeah, so that's my introduction. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much, Seema. Um, tell us about the start of your chapter, Life Before Australia. All right. So Life Before Australia starts um, in, in Pakistan, as probably you're already aware. I'm originally from Pakistan. I was um, brought up in Islamabad and Islamabad is the capital. Uh, city and it's my hometown. I spent the first 25 years of my life in Islamabad mm -hmm. and um, from kinder from my foundation uh, school years up to university and then my first job. All of that period I spent in Islamabad and um, I was a middle child. I have an older sister and a younger brother 
And uh, my father, he was an educationist. He, he retired as a university professor. Um, he passed away um, in 2001. Um, but by profession, yes, he was, he was uh, an educationist. He was a writer. He was an author of several books. He wrote some, um, I think more than 14 books um, in Urdu and English. And, and English. His subject was literature and he loved literature. He, um, this was his profession, it was his interest, it was his hobby and everything. So um, he, was, um, he was also the sole breadwinner of our family. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, yeah, so we used to say that, you know, um, because my father was such a book lover and he had so many books, um, when we were growing up, we, could, we were surrounded by books and his libraries. So we could see that, uh, you know, uh, sometimes we used to joke that, um, uh, that, that you have two families. One is your family, which has four people, like myself, my sister, my brother, and my mother. And the other family is your, is your library. So he was very devoted to both his families. But of course, sometimes, <laughs> you know, we, we couldn't figure out which family comes first. So anyway, so just to let you know that um, he was a book lover, he was an educationist. and. Um, my mother, she was, uh, she was a homemaker, but she shared a love of literature with my father. And uh, my father, while he pursued his literary work, my mother practically ran the household. She was, um, I think almost, she was doing it almost single-handedly, running in and out and, and um, doing a day-to-day -day running of the household. Uh, so, I, so growing up, I saw my mother as a person who was very independent and who was uh, in a sense that he was she was doing everything um, uh, to make sure that um, you know we are all uh, comfortable and my father doesn't have to um, run those errands basically so yeah so that's that's about my father and my mother mm. and uh, we come from a from a middle class family my parents um, they were not uh, you know they, they had limited income uh, but i think uh, one of the best things that they did was to invest in the education of their children. They made sure that if nothing else, they have this, they have educate, they have good education. So education uh, was a big priority. And right from my, you know, right from the childhood days and when I was growing up, mm -hmm. I, um, I was not an outstanding student. I was an average student, but I did have my education goals because I had seen this coming from my father and my mother that, uh, you know, that this, um, this thought was kind of conveyed to us that children, uh, you must have, you must have good education and uh, you must have a career. So yeah, I was in that sense, I was quite um, focused right from the beginning. Yeah, and uh, then um, what happened was that, um, as a you know, um, as I'm saying that uh, my parents were very um, supportive. They were very progressive in that sense. They completely believed in women's education and children's education, and wanted to see their daughters, and of course all all their children, um, independent and um, financially empowered, and all of that. So, uh, so that's uh, that. That was the kind of uh, environment that I grew up in, and um, then, uh, and this was, uh, as I've said before, that uh, I was in Islamabad, 
um, all the while in all the first 25 or 26 years of my life I spent in Islamabad and um, when I was in year 11 and year 12 so like VC like what we have here is VC so something equivalent to that when I reached that stage I um, I took some unconventional paths in a sense that you know we are talking about uh, those days in 1984-86 around that time like 38 years ago uh, it was not very common for women to take um, science subjects especially in my family and as I've said that you know both my parents were into literature and I've seen uh, so I had not uh, so so basically in those days there were two professions that or careers that were considered suitable for girls so one was medicine and the other one was teaching and um, uh, so for a woman in Pakistan deciding to uh, study um, uh, science subjects or um, engineering subjects like mathematics, physics, chemistry, and biology, and all of that, um, and to be and, and to pursue um, some um, to, to, to you know to to study those subjects to become an engineer was kind of unusual. But that's what I did. I uh, in year twelve, I willingly and happily picked those subjects, and. Um, I was the first woman in my family to have studied pre-engineering subjects. So pre-engineering subjects in year 12 meant that I was preparing to take engineering uh, program in, in, in my tertiary education. But, um, but that, so I was the first one. So I just picked up maths and, and uh, physics and chemistry and, uh, and uh, not arts, not literature, not medicine. So my sister was doing medicine and my, my, one of my aunts, she had also done medicine. So I was I became the first woman in the family to to have studied pre-engineering subjects. Seema, can or I sorry, can I ask yeah? why, why you decided to actually study those subjects and why you decided this, to take the unconventional path? Aarti, I, I honestly can't answer that question because that's what I tell everyone that you know, right from the beginning, I knew that I had to I had to. I wanted to do um, uh, masters in some subject. I wanted to finish my studies uninterrupted up until masters, right? That was one. And secondly, uh, you know, when people used to ask, so what profession do you want to go to? What what uh, what career do you, do you want to take, take up? I did not know very clearly what is it that I wanted to do. But yeah. one thing I knew very clearly was that I did not want to do medicine. <laughs> Wow. I was very clear about it. And so, and so, um, and then I think I did not want to take arts. I, I felt at that time that I was not very creative and I was not really into, I enjoyed reading and um, that's, that was, that was it. I did not sort of um, want to go further in, in arts and literature and, you know, creative arts for that matter. So after that, I had one other choice left that was pre-engineering subjects. But I also, I think I a little bit, I was inclined towards doing architecture. And to do architecture, I had to take mathematics and physics and chemistry. So right. I said, all right, fine. I, I think um, I can see that I, I have a little bit interest, a little bit interest in architecture. So let's try uh, mm -hmm. those subjects. 
So I, I took up those subjects and I really, um, by the time I finished my year 12, mm. I wanted to, um, you know, I, I was hoping to get, uh, get an offer <laughs> in architecture, but sadly I did not get a place in architecture, but I'll tell you what, uh, the next, uh, the, the next uh, closest thing to architecture was town planning. So I did receive an offer yeah. to do town planning. Ah, oh, there you go. So sometimes I often, sometimes I wonder that, you know, that was one of the turning points in my life that had I taken that town planning course and completed my degree in town planning, I would be a town planner now. <laughs> and, and that's a very sought after role these days, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, uh, lately I've, I've, I've heard that there's so much demand for town planners and I, and that kind of reminded me that, okay, at one point in my time, I was just about to to embark on that journey. But anyways, cutting a long story short, I uh, decided not to pursue um, town planning course. And instead I completed my bachelor's degree um, in science yeah. and I took mathematics, pure mathematics yeah. and statistics. And then I completed my bachelor's degree with honors and, uh, and yeah. So, you know, these days I, I still um, see and I know that, you know, we are all um, encouraging our women to take STEM uh, subjects and stud and career and education. Mm -hmm. But sometimes now I realize that, okay, um, I was actually a woman in STEM <laughs> 38 years ago, mm -hmm. and I feel happy about it. And because I think it was not, a, it's, not it's not that if you have studied those subjects, you have to pursue that career. Uh, from me, what I gained out of studying those subjects was certain skills, and those skills were transferable. You know, when you when I studied mathematics and physics and chemistry, it it really developed my skills in critical analysis and problem solving, and uh, and uh, and and of course independent thinking and um, all that digital literacy but anyways I did masters later on in information systems but yes uh, in at that stage um, I I realized that you know it was it was really that those choices that I made they prepared me to develop those skills which I could use later in my life I did not realize it then mm -hmm. but when I look back now at this stage I realized that okay that was where it all started from because it 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 disciplined me also to do hard work you know and it was hard work to finish your uh, degree in mathematics with honors <laughs> i i honestly i did not realize that so much when i was doing it yeah. but years and years later i can easily give credit to a lot of things a lot of achievements uh, that i've made uh, mm -hmm. to those uh, initial choices that i made so yeah so that's where I, that's how I sort of um, ended up doing a bachelor's in science. And afterwards I was, um, I, um, I was then successfully admitted to a very competitive MBA program. Again, in those days, I'm talking about like 30 years ago or so, uh, MBA was not uh, a line, a, a career or profession, sorry, um, a degree that, that many women or normally women would pursue in Pakistan in those days, in that society. 
right? As I've said earlier, that in those days, uh, women were, were sort of expected to take up either medicine or uh, teaching or, you know, things, those, those kind of careers. So MBA, doing a Master of Business Administration was again something that uh, none of my family, uh, close family members <laughs> had pursued. And, um, and here I was happily um, uh, admitted to that course and I completed my two years of degree and I thoroughly enjoyed, learned so much from it. Two years of, I did it from, um, from this uh, university in Islamabad, uh, which is um, the Qaidiyazm University in Islamabad. It is one of the most prestigious universities in Pakistan. And I'm very proud to have completed my um, MBA degree from Qaidiyazm um, University. And my two-year MBA course was actually my first co-education experience since primary school. Wow. And, and university life in Islamabad, it was just great. Um, not only in imparting um, formal education, but also in terms of your overall growth as a person, um, in terms of you know, your social skills, in terms of uh, so many other things. Um, so it was a complete package. Seema, let's unpack that a little bit. Um, your university degree, the mm -hmm. MBA, uh, I have two parts to this question. Um, the first part is, were you one of the only women in your course? And if so, what was that transition, that experience like? And then the second part, or the second question is, you said that it was a really good experience. What sort of things were good about it? So, Aarti, um... I was, uh, we had around eight or 10 um, female students in a class of 40. Wow. And I, uh, and you know, Islamabad, um, univer that university used to get students from all over Pakistan. Yeah. So that was my first experience of interacting with people from outside Islamabad. You know, they were coming from, different parts and, and Pakistan is very multicultural. It has a, it, like in terms of diversity of culture and language and, and traditions and food, everything, you know, everything is very diverse. Like every hundred kilometers or maybe even less, you have a different language or a different dialect and a different, you know, different food, different music, different language, different uh, traditional dresses and all. So that kind of diversity I'm talking about. And so Islam, so yes, I was one of those seven or 10, I think, uh, female students um, in a class of 40. And, um, and secondly, what kind of skills did I gain? All right. So before, uh, before I did, before I started university, I was, um, I was a shy person. Actually, growing up, I can I can say that I was relatively shy. I was not an introvert. I always enjoyed friendships and you know social interactions, but I was I was a quiet person, a reserved one, yeah. and uh, not too much into um, sort of uh, you know. I, I was not like a, I was not a born leader in that sense. It's not like you know I would I wasn't 
I was into advocacy or I was an activist because I'm saying this because I could see uh, that in my sister. I tell my sister that you, she was a born activist, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, this phase, this, this whole um, activism, it, uh, it evolved much later in my life. And now, you know, my role is because I am an activist, I am in that role and vice versa. But up until my, um, up until I started my, uh, my university life, I was that kind of a person. Yeah. But university life really, the, it, it exposed me to certain scenarios and it gave me those experiences where, I, where it taught me uh, to speak up for myself. And I learned uh, the art of and the science of self-advocacy. And it kind of turned me from a shy and reserved person into a more vocal and confident person who was ready to speak up for her rights. Mm -hmm. And that, not, that did not happen because, because it was taught as a part of my curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> it only happened because I, I found myself of any other choice but to speak up for myself and um, so I'll just explain that a bit that what I meant what I mean by this look I was um, growing up we did not have any transport of, of our own as I had said you know I was I was, um, I was uh, born in in a middle class family my, my parents did not have uh, could not afford many luxuries in life. Their priority was education, but other luxuries like having a personal transport or phone or overseas holidays, all of that was not, not, not for us at that time. We, we were not exposed to that. So when I started my university, uh, my house was actually in a very um, kind of a far-flung area, I would say, because it was in a newly developed um, suburb, so to say. And that was very far from my university. Our public transport system was so, um, uh, can't say much about it, it still is not very adequate. So public transport was, um, uh, there was this clear lack of public transport. But then the university transport was also um, very limited. Like it was, it was serving well um, to some suburbs, but not to my suburb. Mm -hmm. So what happened was that uh, because, and, and, the, and those days, right, we are not talking about uh, like currently, um, you know, our students, they can study online and they can share notes online and they have all kinds of technologies. I'm talking about 30 years ago. We did not have all of that. We had to attend our classes every day. We had to go to the library and, you know, get the books and all sorts of things. So everything for that, every, for all of that, I had to travel to university every day, like most days. But then my house, so, so it was taking me like two, two hours or so to reach, um, um, to reach university every day because there was no public transport. And uh, the only university bus, uh, it used to run um, uh, once, uh, once um, in the morning and then once uh, later in the day. And um, so I had to get up very early in the morning and I had to uh, walk for 30 minutes to get to the bus stop and then take another 40, 45 minutes of ride. So all in all, like it was a very stressful and taxing journey. And all I wanted was a bus stop that was closer to my house. 
naturally yeah. so that I did not have to walk for 30 or 40 minutes. And that was not possible because the university bus schedule and bus um, network was, um, was, was there and it was difficult to change, make any changes to that. Mm -hmm. So what I did was that, um, and I knew that if I have to continue my studies, I have to do something about this problem, this transport problem. So I, um, in my first semester, I wrote a letter to the university administration uh, department and requested them to extend the bus service and uh, you know bring it closer to my house. So after much effort, they made some very minor adjustment. And the adjustment was that I, uh, instead of walking for 30 minutes to the bus stop, I had to walk for 15 or 20 minutes okay. and then get onto the bus. And then, um, but there still was only one bus to pick me up early in the morning at half past six maybe. And then one last bus in the evening to drop me off at around four or five in the evening. And um, so during the whole day, there was no other <laughs> bus service. And uh, so these long travel, um, travel times to university on a daily basis, basically it was very stressful and it was consuming my energy and time. So, um, so that was how I spent my two years. Basically, I later on some other students who used to live in my neighborhood, they also joined me and then we started making a joint submission and we, um, you know, we used to go to the admin section and I still remember that, you know, that administration section was used to be full of uh, male staff and yeah. here there was this one female student walking into that room and everybody was like nobody was listening but it was also as if you know um it, it was a, an uncomfortable situation but I did not give up I thought no I had to do that and I kept on doing that and I kept on writing and whatever but um after two years just when I passed out just when I graduated they actually did and they actually uh, provided that bus service closer to my house but that was like only after I left my university but I still was satisfied I, I had the sense of achievement because even if it did not benefit me it benefit it benefited a lot of other students who were in my neighborhood and because of my my fight and my struggle and my advocacy, they were able to get the university bus closer to their house. So every time after, you know, after I finished my university, whenever I used to see my university bus passing in, like from, from my, in, passing uh, close to my house, I used to feel so happy, but I, it also had some <laughs> painful memories because um, I, um, I, um, Later on, I also found out that, you know, uh, those people in the administration section, they had started uh, giving me this name of um, something in Urdu, which actually translates into a fighter jet. So they would see me coming and they'll say, okay, this fighter jet is coming. I was, yeah. so that was like, okay. So I had to fight for that service. But anyway, so that, that was something that I was not expecting. It had it meant that I had to come out of my comfort zone and I did that in a big way. And so that's where I said that, you know, the university life actually ex um, ex gave me some good experiences. And then I realized that I, what it means to have a voice and you need to stand up for your own rights. You need to take a stand because I, when I looked around, there was nobody else, none of the other female students, they were having this issue. So only I, so I had to speak for myself, and which I did, and I was 
happy about that. So that's how I sort of started on my self-advocacy and uh, and that journey kind of. <laughs> Amazing. And Seema, before we um, delve into the second part of your um, conversation, um, we might need to get uh, on the other link. Okay. Yes. Wow. All right, so Seema, we left off at your um, self-advocacy journey and or actually the start of it, where you had success in getting a bus stop next to your place. Yeah, tell us some more what happened after. Thank you, Aarti. Actually, um, I must confess, I'm really enjoying this trip down memory lane with you. <laughs> because... Um, you know, you, you don't really realize, but upon reflection, you can see there were many turning points in your life mm -hmm. that contributed towards um, this destination. I wouldn't call it a destination, but the point in life where I am and the roles that are doing, mm -hmm. uh, it all happened. It did not happen overnight. You know, it started um, way before I got here. So what happened? So yes, so the two years I finished my, um, as I've said, I decided not to give up. And uh, because I must confess that during those two years, there were certain periods where I, there were certain points where I felt quite stressed because of this problem. Yeah. And it was draining me mm -hmm. because, uh, and, and I just, uh, I thought that, wow, I'm quite close to quitting my studies mm. but I did not yeah this was not what I wanted but to carry on was also not so easy uh, but I decided to just carry on uh, because I loved whatever uh, I was receiving from that education uh, education experience and my university life I made some beautiful friends we made uh, um, you know lifelong friendships I still I am in touch with so many of my friends that I made in my university, and um, and and uh, and not only uh, friends, not only my um, class fellows and students, but also our teachers and our professors, and uh, we formed such beautiful bonding, and that bonding still continues even if. You know, we have to, you know, and right now, basically, because of social media, because of technologies, we are, we are, it's much easier to stay in touch with them. And I'm so happy. But those bonds were like, so everlasting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what happened after finishing uh, my university, what I did was that um, as soon as I finished my exams, even before my results came out, I immediately received an internship offer. And this was at a government organization in Islamabad. So um, there was not enough money in that job. It was, it started with an internship role and later on it, uh, it I was offered a full-time role. Uh, but I had realized that um, in that, um, in that role, um, there was some great, there were some great learning opportunities and of course some mentors. So I opted to uh, take that internship role. Yeah. And uh, but hey, uh, you know, here again, going to my workplace was a was a grinding chore, I would say, <laughs> because uh, as I've said, like earlier, that I did not have my trans my own transport, and uh, public transport was not so um, 
you know, it was not well connected, it was not adequate. And um, so basically it meant that uh, I was working and that to, for me to continue my work, I had to walk long distances to the public bus stops. I had to catch those overcrowded buses in, in, um, in, in whether it was too hot or whether it was freezing cold, whether, and so I had to sort of carry on. And then um, perhaps people here, some people won't be able to relate to the kind of buses, public buses that I'm talking about. Those public buses were not like what we have here, mm -hmm. uh, but those public buses were really in a very sort of bad shape and they were like over overcrowded. They used to have segregated female and male sections sections and they were packed buses you um i used to travel um uh using that kind of a public public transport and then um of course i had no choice i had to um i had to hear many unsolicited remarks from the men's section for instance and that was all part of the journey and that was a part of the experience yeah. And of course, I felt frustrated. It was not a very pleasing experience. And I felt frustrated. But at that time, I had only two choices, um, like before. I mean, an easier choice was that uh, was to quit, was to quit my career and settle into a life of an arranged marriage, which was not very uncommon in yeah. Pakistan in those days. And it's still, you know, uh, uh, and so that was one easier choice. But a more difficult choice was to be resilient and cope with that challenge and pursue my career goals and become professionally and financially independent. I mean, those were the reasons I wanted to continue. And of course, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that learning experience and also putting my skills and qualifications uh, to, to some good use, right? Yeah. I, I just enjoyed that. So that was, um, so th those were those choices that I had to, um, that I had and I had to make that difficult choice to be just mm -hmm. to, to not not to give up I just wanted to carry on and of course along the way um, um, as a for, for a for a woman at work um, I had to face other uh, gender-based biases and uh, obstacles and challenges um, I remember that when I first started my um, that role in 1991 that was um, I um, you know I through that experience I was I, re I received my first uh, sort of uh, taste of the challenges of working in the real world as a woman yeah. and of course the journey from a young female student to a working woman in Pakistan and later in other countries also it sort of exposed me to some gender-based prejudices uh, but you know despite this I just carried. I, I I continued. I really wanted to um, to not give up. So my first role was um, that of a programmer. So mm -hmm. while doing my MBA uh, program, I had taken some computer courses as well, computer related courses. Yeah. So that helped me get that role. So my first job was to write some codes and be a programmer. So I started doing that, but very soon I realized that I was not cut out to be a programmer. I, I found this coding business a bit too boring. <laughs> and, um, but then what also happened was that around the same time, um, that organization had uh, started its first ever computerization project. So those days, technology, everything was being um, automated. So um, they had launched a computerization project. It was the first, uh, time that um, that 
Pakistan's corporate sector database of some, I think, 35,000 companies um, was to be transferred to, to this computer system and, um, and, and in a database. Yeah. So uh, up until then, it was, I think it was manually maintained. So that was a big uh, computerization project. As part of that, um, they had to develop a software, they had to purchase uh, hardware and, uh, and uh, computers and uh, networks and uh, all sorts of things. And that project was uh, funded by an international um, uh, agency. So, uh, so during that time, I, I was offered to become, uh, to be the program coordinator. And, it, and that coordinator role, I thoroughly enjoyed because it, uh, it, it required a liaison with the donor agencies, vendors. Um, it required me to, um, to do hardware and software uh, proposal assessments and also be involved in, the, in, in, um, in outlining the requirements uh, from this computer system. Uh, testing of the databases and recruitment of data coders. There were so many different aspects of that computerization project. And I was, I was really enjoying that role because I was involved in all of them. And uh, that showed me that it sort of, it proved me that, you know, I was, I was very, I was much happier yes. uh, to be working with people. <laughs> so I was a very people, I was a people friendly person always. Yeah. But this role told me that this is where you belong. You know, you, I, I, uh, so I was still in that IT, uh, uh, IT sector in a sense that I was, um, I was working on this computerization project. And, uh, but, you know, 30 years ago, I unknowingly, I joined that, that very small league of male dominated IT sector. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then uh, because I, I, I really loved that role and I enjoyed working on that project. Later on, I decided to do another master's in information systems. Um, and uh, at that, and then it sort of further developed my understanding of how these information systems um, are developed. And, and then, yeah, so later on, I, um, I, uh, I pursued that uh, area of work, which yeah. was IT management systems and IT systems development. And um, so, so from program coordinator, then I became a project uh, from a project coordinator. Then I, I was offered the role of systems analyst. But then in between, I took a break from my career, and I, um, I went, I went to study in the UK. So I'll tell you a little bit of background. Yeah. You know, in Pakistani societies, um, Aarti, I'm not sure if you are also sort of you can perhaps relate to that. And in those days. Uh, Parents uh, start worrying about their daughter's marriage soon after their <laughs> education, um, soon after the age of 20, basically, once they've completed their education. And marriages were mostly arranged where friends and relatives, they sort of help in matchmaking. And I was not exempted. <laughs> so I was not in a hurry to get married after finishing my uni degree. But uh, obviously, my my other friends and relatives and my uh, sort of elders in my family, they were right. So um, and at times, uh, so much so that, you know, at times I really felt that enormous pressure to accept and compromise on some unsuitable proposals, I would say. Yeah. You know? yeah. Okay, they will start doing matchmaking and you are so much under pressure that uh, 
they just want you to say yes. And here I was not ready to do that. I just wanted to, to take, to, you know, to, to play, play it very safe. Yes. And I wanted to make sure that I'm not going to, that I was not compromising on certain non-negotiables. And one of the non-negotiable for me was to, was for me to be able to pursue my career. Right. I did not want any interruption. Yeah. So yeah, but then just so during those days when I had finished my education, I'd started working and uh, here everybody else, it seemed at that time that the whole world was 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 um, trying to do some matchmaking for me and, uh, and I was not so uh, much interested. And I remember that my parents uh, in those days, my parents and my parents, they had to hear comments like, oh, your daughter is very choosy. She's so picky. <laughs> Or sometimes I also used to get comments and some people would, you know, would pass on some comments and mock, mockingly, they would say, all right, girl, we'll see which Prince Charming will come to for you and all of that. And I was like, that's fine. So mm -hmm. while my parents and my friends and, and my other relatives, they were sort of stressing about my marriage, I, I won a scholarship um, to study at the London School of Economics to study, to, uh, to complete one year uh, master's program. And again, 28, nearly 28 years ago in Pakistan, it was quite, um, it was not common for a young unmarried woman to go abroad and study. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I must say that I received tremendous support from my parents and my uh, family yes. at a time when, when, we did not have any emails, we did not have any mobile phones, and we did not have any, any, any internet. So, you know, in terms of communications, in terms of remaining in touch with each other, it was a very difficult um, time. Mm -hmm. um, but yet, my parents supported me. And they, uh, you know, they allowed me to, um, to go overseas and study. And for that, I am, I'm always grateful to them that uh, they gave me that kind of a support. So, um, so yeah, so I, what I did was that I happily um, traveled to, uh, to London, uh, started my one year program in information systems um, in London at the at London School of Economics. And of course, um, studying there um, added to my experiences and added to the it sort of enlightened me and it widened my horizons, I would say. Um, and um, that was a wonderful experience. And um, but then towards the end of my master's at LSE, what I did was that I also I wanted to continue. So I wanted so I applied for a PhD program and um, and I was successful. Yeah. But here comes the disappointment that I got the, I was able to get the university offer letter uh, at LSE to do a PhD uh, degree, uh, but I could not secure any funding. Oh. So that was a three-year program. And um, I remember that I had, I had tried and I could not, you know, it for one year, perhaps I, I was able to do that, but it was a three-year program. So um, no, in the absence of any financial support, I was not able to do that. And that's why I, I decided to return. I was glum for a while because I returned, um, you know, uh, that you know, I wanted to do, I wanted to um, 
to do that program, but I couldn't. But anyways, so I realized that um, perhaps it was not meant to be at that point in time. And uh, perhaps uh, there were some other plans for me. Uh, um, and uh, maybe the better ones, because uh, as soon as I returned, um, I resumed my career in Islamabad. But then soon after, afterwards, I met this wonderful person, um, a doctor, a surgeon, and um, he was <clears throat> he was known to our family. Our families knew each other. Yeah. So, and we had never met before, but I had heard his name. So okay. that is, uh, so my parents, they uh, introduced us, our parents actually. So my husband, Muhammad, yes. his parents and my parents, they sort of, um, it was their desire that we meet up and we, we get that first introduction. So anyways, so it so happened that we got to see each other and uh, they introduced us to each other. And from there, it was all, it was from that, that point onwards, it was our decision. But yes, so um, within a couple of weeks of our first meeting, <laughs> um, Muhammad proposed to me and uh, I accepted this proposal. I, but you know what? I, I also wanted to make sure I, I accepted that proposal only after making sure that he would not have any objection to my career goals. Yeah. <laughs> I made sure. Charming. Right? Yes. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that he would be okay with a working woman. And I knew myself, I knew that I was not the material who could just stay at home and, you know, um, and, and do um, all, the, all the domesticated work, which yeah. also is so necessary. But, you know, I wanted to have a better balance between my career and my um, domestic life. So uh, within a year of my return from London, um, I was married to Mahoma. And then uh, soon after getting married, um, we went to Malaysia. Uh, my husband, he, he, got, he got a good uh, job offer an opportunity. And um, so, um, so, you know, we discussed and uh, I willingly took this tough decision to, um, to quit my career in Islamabad. And then I followed him. Yeah. That was in 1997. Yeah. And it was a tough decision, but I had, of course, taken that decision, decision willingly and happily. But then uh, very soon I found myself in a land <laughs> without friends, without family or without a career because I reached Malaysia. And that was one of the, I think, one of the most, uh, it was not the best um, uh, time to be in uh, Malaysia, given that Malaysia was going through a period of uh, very um, severe economic crisis. Mm -hmm. So I realized that finding a job for myself would be very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I was and I found myself in that situation that, okay, um, I was looking around for work and uh, couldn't find uh, anything. But uh, because, you know, Malaysian work uh, visa regulations were very tough. Yeah. So, um, but then uh, I didn't give up and I started uh, doing some um, 
not to say voluntary role, but kind of internship positions. I started doing some work with this with the University of Malaya, and they gave me some um, research work, and I happily took that opportunity and did some uh, research on again in this IT area and information systems um, area, and did some research on end user satisfaction with 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 the computer with computer systems and IT. So those kind of work to keep myself busy. Yeah. Uh, and then afterwards, after some time, I actually, um, uh, I eventually got, got a job offer um, in Kuala Lumpur, in Bedaling Jaya, where I was living. Mm. And uh, there was this organization, uh, it was a biomedical engineering firm, and um, they had a contract with some more than 72 hospitals all over Malaysia to provide biomedical engineering services. And uh, and they saw my application, they saw my CV, and they immediately called me for an for an interview. And it seemed that they were very pleased to uh, to have um, to, to you know to, to to get someone uh, with my qualifications and experience and everything. So I was immediately offered a job, and I was so happy. I did not negotiate. And I did not, because at, at that time, um, at that point in time, I had come to a stage where I was ready to accept anything, hmm. even if I had to maybe to do it um, on, a <laughs> on a voluntary basis, hmm. because I just wanted to keep myself busy uh, professionally. Sure. So I did not, uh, you know, I, I was happy that finally I've got an offer. So whatever they offered me, I accepted that at that point in time and um uh, but look uh, and, and the organization and the management they were very um supportive and they were very sort of um welcoming and friendly and everything but then soon i realized that you know um that there were some significant gender imbalances that existed within this seemingly uh friendly organization that had employed me and after some time i found out that uh that and here comes my my first hand experience of all the gender um, gender related issues gender biases i found out that uh, men with lesser skills and qualifications they held better positions and better roles and better remuneration remunerations than me than what i did what i was uh, receiving uh, whatever I was receiving, I sort of thought that, okay, others will also be perhaps more or less on this at the same level. I did not give too much attention to that. But then um, by chance, I found out that, um, that, you know, even, how shall I say, even a rather lazy colleague, male colleague of mine was uh, placed well above my salary level, well above my salary level. And, um, and, uh, and this kind of a gender-based pay inequity mm. and pay gap, it really dented my self-esteem. It was kind of a rude awakening that, yeah. oh my God, um, I started comparing myself and my experience and my skills and the work that I was doing in terms of everything. Yeah. I thought that that was not right. That was not fair. Yeah. That, uh, that the, the gap was so big. Yeah. So I soon realized that, you know, that, yeah, that was, that was an issue. And, um, and I, um, so I, uh, as I said, it kind of dented my self-esteem. I, 
I, I really felt compelled to speak up and I did. <laughs> and I and I was very persistent as well because um, I did not quit that organization. I enjoyed working there. I enjoyed the company. I enjoyed my team, working with my team. Uh, but I did not give up. I started making a case for myself. I presented that case over and over and over again. And, um, and almost uh, it took almost a year of persistence and patience to win my case for a comparable salary level. So I achieved that. Seema, when you said you spoke up, what did you, who did you talk to and what did you tell them? And mm. how did they receive that? Yeah, so I I spoke to my um, my manager, but I spoke to the top level manager because the senior management basically, and I gave them the reasons that why I should be better mm. remunerated, and the work that I'm doing, and the contributions that I was making to that organization, yeah. and how does it sit with. You know, where does it sit? What is the market rate for that? That kind of a thing. Sure. And and I and made them realize. Uh, I made them realize this, and they really acknowledged it later on. That yes, mm-hmm. when I started initially, um, it was not a fair package for me. Yeah. They did not offer. It was not fair. Yeah. Um, and so they, yeah. So with logic and reasoning and persistence. Yeah. And uh, I just pursued my case. Yeah. And finally, um, they did make some adjustments. But again, Aati, I think um, it was not exactly at par, but it was much, much better than what I was getting before. And uh, so that was, I think that was another example where I would say that I I showed that self-advocacy and, and I spoke up. And I said, no, I'm not, I was not giving up. I have to take a stand and I have to make them realize that this was not fair. So that's why I'm now very, very conscious of those, um, you know, those areas where women, uh, because they do not negotiate well, and I was one of them, and perhaps I still am one of them, that when it comes to, my, to, to their salaries and their remunerations and overall packages, they do not negotiate well. Um, and and of course, um, if you don't ask, you don't get, you don't get it. Basically, that's the thing. And that lesson I got while working in Malaysia. <laughs> Malaysia was a beautiful place. I thoroughly enjoyed my stay there. That it, you know, that whole um, beautiful multicultural diversity and that um, the level of integration within the community and the leadership and everything. I really enjoyed, but this uh, workplace experience it exposed me to some, um, you know, some I would say some valuable uh, uh, lessons it gave me through all those exposures that I had, and it gave me an opportunity to take a stand and then not to stay quiet. Yeah, you know? <laughs> world is not going to pay any attention if you that stay is- quiet. But at the same time, at the same time, I feel that I. Um, I became very, um, I developed, well, empathy is not the right word. I always, I thought I had empathy and I was kind, but I could then um, look at the problems from other people's perspective. I thought, that, you know, if, and so that, that kind of, a, that kind of experience really helped me later. And it is still helping me because for me now, my, my biggest values are to be kind, to have empathy 
to have to give to give a voice to those who do not have a voice and social justice and everything and of course gender equity i'm very passionate i'm a very passionate advocate of women's um, development and and women's empowerment and everything and wherever i see uh, any inequity inequity or um, lack of fairness and lack of justice i can't help um, but to speak out so that's that was there and look um, as i said that i thoroughly enjoyed working in that organization later on one thing one constraint was that every two years they had to renew my work permit yeah. So, um, so they renewed my work permit in after two, year, two years, and then around that time, um, I uh, I was given a role to lead this um, this project, which was basically about um, developing an internet-based procurement and inventory system, so that they can link up all of their seventy-two hospitals and sites. And it was a massive project, and and I thoroughly enjoyed that. It had again so many parts, you know, um, contract management and uh, IT system selection and uh, software requirements gathering. And I was kind of uh, in charge, and I was overseeing everything. I was the project lead. Yeah. And uh, so what happened was that, uh, um, let's talk about disappointments because I'm sure everybody has disappointments in life. And that was um, one of the disappointments, I would say that uh, after um, working so hard on that project, where I, where I received a lot of sense of accomplishment and professional um, satisfaction, um, when that IT system went live, the day that it went live, it's like in, in our IT projects, that's a huge milestone, yeah. you know, go live. System goes live, hurrah, <laughs> everything yeah. is working. Working, yeah. And, uh, and here I was um, waiting um, to see some kind of, you know, acknowledgement and reward or some, mm. some or, or celebrations of that milestone moment. What I received was a letter from HR that my work permit could not be renewed. <laughs> Oh. And uh, I said, okay. So that effectively became the last day of my role. Wow. Oh, goodness. It's not in the plans, but you know, I, I don't, um, I don't have any hard feelings. Mm. I've moved on, but at that point in time, it, it really hurt. It, I was disappointed, and I said, oh. Uh, and I'm not saying that the organization didn't um, didn't make any effort. They probably did, and probably it was those immigration laws and policies that did not um, uh, did, that that because of which that they could not renew my work permit. But I was so disappointed that you know after doing this massive project, you expect that you'll be going up the career ladder, ladder and you'll be you know you'll be taking on some other challenging projects and all of that. And it all just all of that that those dreams they just crashed <laughs> down immediately and um, so I walked out of that office um, in the same week that I delivered that successful project and that was I think 2002 and then in 2003 then again and as I've said that it was very difficult um, uh, to get work permits um, because of Malaysian work visa regulations 
um, but I st uh, but I had to so I had to start from scratch and I had to make sure that I receive I, I I get a get an offer where my employer was was willing to sponsor me for my work permit so you know all of that and um, so I started looking around for work and in between I um, I did some uh, e-commerce related courses just wanted to make sure that there wasn't a gap on my CV <laughs> I was doing something. And um, then there was a conference in Pakistan, so I I, um, I wrote a paper and presented in that conference. The topic of that um, topic of my paper was, I think, IT and knowledge knowledge based societies, something to do with IT and knowledge based societies. So I enjoyed that, and I finished that, and then. Um, and then I had applied for some other for some other roles, and then I remember that I received um, an offer for um, for a role that uh, that was a teaching role, uh, mm -hmm. risk management related areas that I was uh, um, I was asked to take some classes um, in in a university. So I was happy that at least I've got something and I can share my uh, industry experience with, uh, uh, with, with, the, with these university students. And I was about to say yes to that offer that uh, around the same time, uh, we finally decided to move to Australia because all this while we had our Australian permanent residence visa, but we had not, we were not really thinking very seriously about actually yeah. coming to Australia and living here. We just thought that everybody was applying, let's apply, let's have that visa. So we had that uh, PR all the while, and but that um, around that 2003 time, uh, we had to make a decision that if we do not uh, come and live in uh, Australia, then our PR would expire. Yes. So, um, so that uh, and so my husband he had also started um, looking for roles here in Australia mm -hmm. and because he being a surgeon he had to go through some um, some you know certification and um, all the training programs and whatnot but um, around the same time that um, that I um, received a job offer in uh, Malaysia he received <laughs> an offer from Melbourne to okay. come and do a job so that was the thing okay now what do I do <laughs> but we decided to to take that opportunity and um, and we packed our bags and we moved to Australia <laughs> wow so um see now that was very timely we have four minutes on the clock um, yeah <laughs> Yeah, that, so yeah, so that's where yeah my and that's uh, where my chapter on life before Australia ended. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's amazing. And a couple of the themes that sort of came through throughout your entire conversation is speak up, don't give up. Is there any other couple of key points you'd like to? Um, express for anybody in the world listening to this conversation? Yeah, I think when I look back, I feel that some of the things that have helped me in my journey, they included um, having that, uh, uh, that positive outlook. That is very important um, to, to be patient, to be persistent, but also to be positive that it's not all doom and gloom things will you know things will uh, 
uh, will be better if you're if you're facing any challenges today life will be better tomorrow and uh, take a half glass half full kind of approach uh, and I also feel that you know it's important to understand that we need to learn to let go of what's not in your control and to have your plan B and to have that flexibility um, so being flexible and finding opportunities in your challenges and having a plan B where your plan A has failed <laughs> is yeah. important and I have um, I think I have uh, I've had to let go of many of my plan A plans that were my plan A yeah. and I had to go for my plan B but in I think uh, looking back I feel that those plan if it was an alternative plan it, I didn't do too bad. <laughs> you know, I'm still happy. I still have that sense of uh, achievement and uh, life has been uh, rewarding. And yeah, and breaking stereotypes. I, I think some of the things in the early part of my life, I, I, I was breaking some stereotypes unknowingly. And uh, I, I, I still am, I think, in many ways. But uh, now I think I'm more aware of those <laughs> stereotypes. But initially, when I was doing all of that, I didn't realize that, oh, okay, I was yeah. doing all of that, that perhaps it was an unconventional path and nobody else had done, um, at least in my circle of friends or family uh, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then there is, of course, turning points. Everybody has turning points in their lives and it can change the whole trajectory so be positive and take things as they come yeah Absolutely. and you know for me i think i i think that life is what you make of it some and i say this for myself that uh, some battles i won and some i chose to let go of yes that's amazing let's put it this way <laughs> Thank you so much, Seema, for taking the time to have this really important conversation. Um, and for everyone that's going to be listening to the conversation, it's going to be available on YouTube, on podcasts, and on the Facebook um, Human Chapters page. So keep sharing it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aarti. Thanks for um, having me and giving me this opportunity. I've thoroughly enjoyed this session. Thanks a lot. Very welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye.